And now, The Travel Show with Arthur and Pauline Fromer. Your chance to talk to the publishers of the nation's best-selling travel guide series. Whether your travel destination is around your corner or any corner of the world, the Fromers will help you get the most out of your travel experience and save you money at the same time. And now, Arthur and Pauline Fromer. And this is The Travel Show in which we talk about vacations. Welcome I'm Arthur Fromer. And I'm Pauline Fromer. And in the time ahead, we're going to be talking about travel. And we would love to have you join that conversation. There are a couple of ways you can do that. You can either email us at fromertravelshow at yahoo.com. And I have had guests on the show who have done that. Or uh, you can follow us on social media and join the conversation there. You'll find Fromers on Pinterest, on Twitter, on Facebook, and on Instagram. And I got to say, even if you aren't traveling, you're going to see gorgeous shots of different beautiful places around the world, especially on our Instagram account that will lift your spirits. Finally, we hope you'll come visit us at Fromers.com, which has a lot of great items to read. Now, we're going to start this show by discussing something we've never discussed before. And I think I know what uh, no, it is, well, let me just Let me just finish this. Okay. And that is that we are pre-taped. We are not a live show like many radio shows. We pre-tape this. So I want to give the date very specifically because uh, things are changing so fast that uh, I want you to know where this conversation was in time. So right now it's March 4th. 2020. And that is a date in which the public is at its very height of interest in the corona virus, Paul. And I hate to use those words, but there definitely, obviously, has been an impact upon travel uh, by by the fear that people have of contracting the coronavirus. Yes, and since, since things seem to be changing day by day, that's why I wanted it to make it very clear that we're talking on March 4th. We're talking about March 4th, but every day we're picking up the newspapers and learning about something bad that well, is happening in the world. So, well, on March 4th, one of the questions I've been getting, and I've been doing a lot of TV appearances, I was on Inside Edition, I was on local news, um, People are scared to travel. Uh, people are nervous about getting out there. Now, Dad, you and I have been in the travel industry for a long time. So we've lived through the SARS epidemic when people were nervous about traveling. And the we've, Ebola epidemic, epidemic as well. Swine oh, flu. That's right. Yeah. And, and right after uh, 9-11 for a good six months, but the entire are, world was Pauline, terrified we, to go anywhere. We are not natural pessimists. Right. I have found that how people will react to this terrible danger that they claim well, to, we, to well, be let's, facing. Well, let's please don't use the words terrible danger because okay. we I think it's fair to say that we don't know yet what the impact will be on Americans. We do know that this has a far lower fatality rate than SARS did. And yet when SARS was going on, people did continue to travel. What this seems to be, and neither dad or I claim to be or are scientists or doctors, but what this seems to be is a virus that can badly impact people with um, weaker immune systems, people who are elderly, uh, people who have underlying conditions. And uh, we as a community have to protect all of those people, which I think leads to why people are nervous about traveling, because people are nervous there could be 
a quarantine situation. Um, so what has my advice been? In terms of the uh, virus itself, um, right now, the travel industry is trying to sort this all out. I think that except for certain places that the CDC has said do not on any under any circumstances go to, and I'll list them. Those places are China, China Korea, South Korea, parts of Italy, yes. and uh, Japan. Um, but there are also, the rest of the world seems to be fairly open to travelers. Except uh, that every day we're learning about a decline in many of the attractions for which we travel. Mm, the, the the Louvre, yes, the Louvre in Paris has closed down. Right, and they have because they're worried that, about fr- about uh, transmission in crowded areas. In crowded areas, but this may it, blow they, over just as it did with SARS. I mean, well, so uh, and, so but it may go on for several could, weeks. We don't know. We don't right. know. So what the reason reason I'm saying, if you're going to travel in several weeks, my advice has been sit tight. If this gets much worse, if more travel warnings come in, we're going to see more reactions from the travel industry. Right now, and once again, we are recording this on March 4th, 2020. Uh, right now, if you try and cancel your cruise, if you try and cancel your tour, it will be considered fear of travel which is making you cancel, which means you're not going to get your money back. Insurance companies do not cover fear of travel. So you could be stuck with a big bill, whereas if you were going to a place where the CDC says is a no-go, you'll get all your money back. So that's one of the reasons I'm saying to sit tight for right now if you're looking at travel in the next couple of weeks, in the next couple of months. Uh, what were you about to say, Dad? I, th- I feel like I've cut you off a couple well, of times. There are a lot of people who are natural pessimists. Who are, <laughs> yeah. I, I know someone, I know a young woman who recently went out and bought 15 bottles of peanut butter to place into her house. Uh, one of the fears that people have is not of being in a quarantined area, but in an area where, where the foodstuffs have, have been exhausted. Hmm. Uh, I went into into a major grocery store the other day, and there are shelves that are now bare. Yeah, These, yeah. But this has nothing to do with the actual incidence of of, uh, of the virus. Of the yeah. virus. This has to do with your own natural pessimism, that you're afraid that your country will not be able to cope with these with these problems and that they will run out of food and that you'd better stop uh, stock up but not only stock up for a couple of weeks work but stock up with a couple of months well of, and of food I, I don't I don't think you. anybody's saying get a couple of months of food because that's that would be hard to to but, do but that's but, exactly what the people are doing well Polly. okay but yeah. I, I think what the advice is is if it's if you're traveling in a couple of weeks from now, Sit tight. Don't try and cancel yet. If things get worse, if it really becomes very clear that you won't be able to travel to the place that you're going, you'll have much better chance of getting I'm your getting money back money. then. You're not going to lose anything by not canceling now. Uh, the other things you have to look at are how much fear you personally have. Um, if you're supposed to travel say in a couple of days and you don't think you're going to be able to enjoy your vacation well that won't be a vacation dad don't you agree if you're a person with a pessimistic 
mindset, it d- then it maybe you don't so, vacation. It, it depends solely upon your mindset. I'm glad that you use those words. I can actually figure, I can, I can identify the friends of mine who are not traveling, and a lot of them have, have, have now uh, canceled yeah. their plans of, of travel. It's, uh, it's, it's a very difficult situation. But, Dad, you have seen this before, as have I. I mean, we have the... Never to this extent. Never to, to this never extent. Never to this extent. Yeah. I mean, it, a, it's hard to know what's panic and what's real, because you look at the numbers they're quoting, and you realize far more people die of flu, far more people die of cancer each day than have died so far for from uh, COVID-19. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's a very strange situation as as FDR said most famously we have nothing to fear but fear itself but I feel like in this internet age where we are so consumed with communication in these unofficial ways fear is run, running rampant and I I think. Do you do you agree with me? Do you think this this will blow over? Do you think in in a couple of months people will get back to their usual way of li- life? I, having lived through SARS, having been the editor in chief of Fromers dot com after nine eleven, when I was getting angry letters from people saying, "How dare you tell people to travel? Don't you know?" that terrorists hijacked airplanes and we can yeah, never fly yeah. again. We found that that was not true. Pauline, I don't know how to answer your question. Every, every human being will ch- will react in a different way. Every human being will ask ask whether or not you can go to China, now, for example. In right. China, they are now exulting over the fact that their death uh, death statistics have, are not now dozens per day, right, but right. are they're, several And their day. infection rates are going, are going drastically down. down. So the, they what have, they did... Seems well, to be working. They're an authoritarian country that can yeah. can, can give people orders that are then. Dis- dis- well, from what dis- I understand, disobeyed. really, what they did well was they did do some extreme quarantining, but for the most part, it wasn't extreme. What they did very well is they tracked it. They had official sources right. really keeping very good track of who had the virus, who didn't, how to keep them apart from one another, and that's something that we have yeah. to catch up on here in the United States. Let me say that. On Fromers.com, our website, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-S.com, we have an article which we are updating, in many cases, several times each day, talking about the cancellation uh, policies of different companies, talking about what the airlines are doing, talking about new advice for travelers, what the CDC is saying now. Um, We are trying to make ourselves a valuable source for travelers, for would-be travelers, for people who are scared for their friends and family who are traveling, uh, whatever your relationship is to travel right now, we are trying to help. So we hope you'll visit us. You'll find it right on the front cover of Fromers.com is this ever-evolving um, resource telling you what the latest news is on the coronavirus and travel. We have to take a break. We'll be right back.
You're listening to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer, and we're so happy to welcome back one of our favorite guests. She is globetrotter Andrea Sachs, who writes for The Washington Post, and you go to the standard touristic destinations and the ones that used to be the standard touristic destinations, but now many people are avoiding. I'm speaking of Hong Kong. Uh, did you have to bring special equipment to go there? Because I know there have been a lot of problems in Hong Kong in the, over the last six months or so. That's so true. And when I went, I went to Hong Kong a couple of years ago, and you just went without any thought. Like, you would just jump into the stream of people and just kind of, like, travel spontaneously. Sure. When I visited in December, so they've, having pro, they've been having um, protests since June of 2019. Sure. I had to be much more careful, so mm. I did all sorts of research, even before I left, to figure out where to stay, and then even leaving the hotel, I would look at the State Department, I would look mm. at U.S. State Department, British Canada, to get a good sense of it. I would look at the local warnings, so there are a lot of you know Facebook groups that were tracking the protests. Do you and list those, those resources in your Washington Post article? I do, uh-huh. at least for Hong Kong, I do mention them. And did you... Get yourself registered with the U.S. State Department, because I know that's something that's always the advice. And I give that advice all the time, and I'm a hypocrite, but I was in touch. It's called STEP. Everyone should sign up for it. Um, I did not, but I was in touch with the embassy. I had them on my WhatsApp, Mm -hmm. so hopefully they would let me know if something was going on. But every Friday, and I still think they do this, they let you know, because all the protests are mainly held on the weekends, and they will tell you what to avoid and where the protests are going to be, how it will affect traffic, how it will affect just, like, getting out and about. Right. Wow. standard messages just avoid it now you're you're a staff member of the washington post did that give you some protections that the general public wouldn't have i don't think so i'm just an american Hmm. so and i had to follow all those same rules and be cautious and there were it was i took a walking tour and the, uh, the guy who started the company had a protest walking tour and mm. he said, we're not in the protest, but I want you to see what's going on. And there were about six or seven of us and a couple of Americans showed up. So interesting. That was kind of an interesting way to be in it, but also feel safe because he knew all about tear gas protocol, which I do not know about. Wow. And it was safe and it was quiet. And but you, did you go to actual protests or did he just take you to the spots where protests had happened and discuss the issues? Oh, no, he took us to one. Oh, he took we, you to one. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? He probably, he probably he used to do a standard tour and now he does a protest tour. He does. He's done a couple of them since June. And he'll tell you, you wow. stand in the metro and you're like, there are like tons of people streaming out wearing all black and they have umbrellas. And he explained the reasons for the protest, like how this whole started and what their five demands are. And then he walked. We all walked together for several hours and he would kind of explain when the umbrellas went up or what the chants were in Cantonese. Huh. It was really interesting. Well, what, well, tell us the umbrella story. What were the umbrellas for? I, I had always assumed, I know that they're often, a tear gas is often shot into protesting crowds. And so it's not just the gas that can badly affect you, but there has been shrapnel from the canisters that the tear gas is in that can hurt people. And that's why I thought people held the umbrellas. But am I wrong? No, that's part of the reason. They're definitely used as shields. 
Um, they're definitely used as sometimes when there's some mischievous behavior. So if they're spraying graffiti, they'll try and kind of hide themselves oh. and spray under their umbrella. Wow. Yeah. We are speaking with Andrea Sachs, who is a travel writer for the Washington Post. She wrote a fascinating article called, Is It Safe to Travel to Hong Kong? I went to find out. So you went to a protest beyond that protest that you had a guided tour to. Uh, that just blows my mind, I got to say. <laughs> um, did it feel safe? Did the city feel on edge? What was your general feeling being there? I felt I felt safe. You definitely see remnants of it. You see when you when you pay attention and you can see the graffiti and you look on the sidewalk and you can see where the protesters pulled up the bricks mm. to create barricades mm-hmm. and you see where they pulled out steel rain railings to create barricades when it was November was a really hard month. It was really violent. Right. Um, then you're like, oh, gosh, it was really intense here. But then it's a beautiful day out and you're shopping and you're walking by the harbor and it's easy to forget what's going on. Huh. But I would think, too, there probably aren't nearly the visitors uh, that used to go to Hong Kong there. So you must be welcomed with open arms whenever you go into a restaurant or a shop, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, they're so desperate. It's down, Hotels are down 40, 50 percent. Mm. My tour guide said he's down 60 percent. Wow. And when... And last year, Hong Kong had started the year as the most visited destination on the planet, and now it's wow. down 50%. Exactly. And so the benefit is, I, when I went to Victoria's Peak a couple of years ago, I almost lost my mind. It was so crowded. Huh. I just wanted to get off the peak. This time, I was with maybe three people. Like wow. I could just walk all around. No, no selfie sticks were in my way. So for me, for tourists, it was like an incredible experience, but your heart kind of goes out to the to the city because they're losing a lot of money with the tourists canceling and not even booking. So what would your advice be? Do you think people should go right now or is that really just too iffy? It's hard. It changes week by week. I do think it depends on your your comfort level. I do encourage people to go, but just to be wise about where the protests are. So really do your research in advance, like on the ground, like find out where the protests are that afternoon or that weekend. And you can, it, Hong Kong is so big, you can so easily avoid it. Or just go to Macau. Mm. Like, would, well, Macau. well, would that be the strategy? Because, you know, it used to be that a lot of people would add Hong Kong on to an itinerary that maybe included Beijing, Xi'an, Shanghai, and Hong Kong. If you were to do that kind of sweep of China, you could perhaps go to Hong Kong during the week rather than on the weekend when the protests tend to be. And I would think... Avoid any funny business? I mean, is, is that a good strategy, do you think? Yeah, or- no, I think that's a great strategy because during the week, it's usually workers and students, and during the week, they're in, in class and in the office. So it really happens over the weekend. During the week, it is quiet. There might be some sit-ins or some little, like, lunch conversations about what's going on. But you should be fine during the week. Hmm. And you're right, like, a lot of people don't go specifically for Hong Kong, and they right. tack it on to a, a larger Asia itinerary. So if you did a couple of days during the week in Hong Kong, you're yeah. fine. Okay. Just, you know, you can always buy insurance. Sure. Always a good money. idea. Yeah. We have been speaking with Andrea Sachs, who has a terrific article on the Washington Post website. It's called, Is It Safe to Travel to Hong Kong? I Went to Find Out. Thank you, Andrea. You're welcome.
Welcome back to The Travel Show. One of our favorite things is to get questions from our listeners. One of them wrote to me with his questions, and because he lives in New York, I invited him into the studio. Welcome, David. Well, thank you very much, Pauline, and and thanks to the Fromers for providing such fabulous travel information. Uh, You have guided my family through many wonderful trips. Thank you. Well, let's do so again today. Fabulous. What what is your question? So today, uh, I want to ask you about Scandinavia. We've always wanted to go, but haven't really had the time to go and tour all of Scandinavia. Sure. So uh, we have three days coming up in the spring. We're going to be in London and have time for a side trip and began researching all of the different Scandinavian cities, trying to figure out where it might be best to get a flavor (laughs) of the region. Yeah. It's so confusing because it all sounds so great. So I thought I would ask you for guidance. Well, Well, I'm, I'm able I'm able to eliminate at least one of the possible places to go to because of the and that is, of course, Oslo, Norway, because of the riches that Norway enjoys from North Sea oil. Oslo is one of the richest cities on Earth with the highest prices. Every yeah. price in that city is so expensive as to shock you. And no matter how much is your own wealth, you are constantly depressed by, by that. So <laughs> Oslo is not a place to go uh, to devote your three days in Scandinavia. The same could be said of Helsinki, Finland. Apart from a beautifully designed glassware, which many people go to uh, Helsinki to, to view, there is nothing extraordinary about Helsinki. Which oh, is, Dad. It, it oh. is so, I'm sorry to say this, <laughs> it is so cold in the month of March when, when you were going there as to be constantly covered with snow. Yeah. And, and the city employs icebreakers to break the ice to permit ships to come into the port. So those two cities you can eliminate, but there are two other cities that you should definitely consider, and Stockholm is one of them. It is close to, it has close to 100 museums, and many of them are quite remarkable. Mm. They display Rembrandts in the major museum, and they display Picassos in the uh, modern museum, and one of the Stockholm museums, known as the Vasa Museum, W-A-S-A. I don't know right. whether they're calling Is that you... the Viking Museum with the ship that they found? That's the Vasa. That's yeah, the one I'm talking yeah, about. That's an amazing that place. That is an amazing, world-famous, one of the most compelling places on Earth. It displays the completely preserved Vasa battleship of the 1600s, which sank in the center of the Stockholm waterfront and remained there for 300 years until it could be resurrected. The the battleship Vasa is such an incredible sight to see that it makes uh, Stockholm one of the places that has to be seen. And also some of the best food in the world in Stockholm. If you like to eat Uh, well, that's a great place to go. of Stockholm, David, is also one of the few in the world that seeks to educate the tourist about the social advances for which Sweden is famous. And so if you go to the Swedish Institute at the very center of the city, you will be given all sorts of English language brochures telling about those items, and you can also then ask every taxi driver you miss, you meet, to say whether he is either pro or con the various uh, social advances of, of Stockholm. You will definitely and of want Sweden to, in general. You will want to look for the Swedish Institute instead, and finally. Uh, I, I think I now have enough you time. You have enough time. Yeah, well, you're good. Enough to talk about the city of Copenhagen, the Hans, the, <laughs> the uh, 
uh, Hans Christian Andersen city, the Little Mermaid city, even to note those words uh, is to talk about one of the most compelling places on earth. Now, you were going there. I think you will be there before they open the Tivoli Gardens, the yes. famous the famous garden area. Which is one of the reasons I was thinking maybe Stockholm over Copenhagen. Maybe he goes back because to he won't go Copenhagen to in the summer months when the, t- the Tivoli Gardens were, were the world's first amusement park. But, but, and they have children dressed as soldiers marching through amazing restaurants kind of in these glass structures. It's just a magical place. David, there are more restaurants per capita in Copenhagen. Copenhagen than in any other city on earth. Really? That's an amazing uh, statistic. Huh. It means that the people of Copenhagen are constantly eating out. <laughs> they're, <laughs> they're constantly going there. This is a great city to go to. It is what uh, incredible uh, shopping in Copenhagen. Tremendous shopping. You will want to redo the furniture in your apartment or home <laughs> and when when you see the shops of Copenhagen. Which have been chosen for their their the places that they make available to the tourists. They have been chosen by a famous uh, architects and and design artists yeah. to be seen in Copenhagen. They cost less in Copenhagen than you would pay anywhere else in the world. Hmm. And so for in, those in, same goods, in my yeah. opinion, just to wrap this up, yeah, you are going to Scandinavia. You could eliminate Oslo and Helsinki, <laughs> but you should. I think we're going to get complaint letters. One of Copenhagen or one of Stockholm are the t- choices that you should make and how I envy you because both of them are, cl- are remarkable cities. They are remarkable. Does that help, David? It helps tremendously. Thank you very much. And I'm very glad you told me about Finland. I've always been very curious about Finland because I hear that everyone there is so happy all the time. But (laughs) but, but perhaps the winter is not the time to go. They are are like a tenth as happy as the people who live in Copenhagen (laughs) or in (laughs) Stockholm. Don't listen to these people who tell you that everyone is happy in Helsinki. There was a book called The Geography of Bliss, um, which looked at the happiest places Places on Earth statistically, and a lot of them are cold weather destinations. And they think that's because in warm weather destinations, everybody can just wander out, pluck a fruit off a tree, and survive without their communities. Where whether whereas in cold destinations, you really need your neighbors, and so that tends to up human happiness, or at least that was the theory in this book. <laughs> they also don't have to ride the subway in July in New York, so that's that's reason to be yes, happy, right yes. there. We have to take a break. Uh, We thank you so much for listening. David, we thank you for coming into the studio. And we will be right back. Don't turn that dial. Welcome back to The Travel Show. I'm Pauline Fromer, here with my dad, Arthur Fromer. And on the phone, we have Julie Weed. She is a very excellent freelance writer who often writes for The New York Times. And Julie, you wrote an article that was so helpful about safety tips for Uber. Uh, it's been in the news, obviously, that there have been problems with this. So your your first tip seems obvious, but I don't think a lot of people think about it. Request your ride from a safe place. What does that mean? 
Um, that just means make sure you're in a busy, well-lit area or indoors until until your ride comes. A lot of people, me included, I've done this for sure, stand out in the dark like with your phone all lit up and it just you look like you're waiting for a ride. So if you just are out there by yourself with your phone lit up on the end of on the side of the road, any car can just come by and be like, "Oh, here I'm your Uber." Yeah, or Especially other if they have like a Prius or like a really common car. Yeah, and you and if you don't take the time to check. Um, the next tip, which is confirm you're getting in the right car, you could be in trouble. And other so ne'er do wells, right yeah, other yeah. ne'er do wells could target you that way because I know one of the biggest uh, things that gets stolen are iPhones. So if you're out in a, a very quiet area flashing around your iPhone, that might not be smart. Um, so right, you, or you just right might get in the wrong car, which is even worse than losing your iPhone. Well, that comes to tip number two. What's no, tip number two? Uh, tip number two is to match the car's model, license plate, and driver's photo to the app So uh, to make sure you're getting in the right car. And, and when you open the door, just say, who are you here for? You know, just right. in a friendly, nice way. And if they don't know your name, close the door and walk away because they have your name on their screen and you have theirs. Right. So and that's, you- that's like the most important thing that like all the experts told me. Make sure you're getting in the right car by checking on the app to make sure it matches what has pulled up in front of you. Yeah, that seems to be the key thing to do. Uh, the third tip was very interesting because I don't know if every Uber and Lyft user knows that this service even exists, but you can alert someone to your whereabouts and to your journey's uh, progression? Yeah, this is surprising to me, too, that that Lyft and Uber both have a feature called Share Your Trip Status, and you can put in a bunch of contacts, your friends, your family, whatever, and then when you when you hop in that car, you can just click a button that says Share Your Trip Status, and they'll see that little map and, like, where you are, and they'll also see the name of the driver, their photo, the make and model of the car. So um, they'll know where you are. You know that someone knows where you are. And if you're feeling unsafe at all, you can say to the driver, like, hey, I've shared my my um, my location, so my family's waiting for me. You know, I'm excited to see them. Right. Or you can, another, another tip is to pick up the phone and just make a fake call and say, like, hey, mom, yeah, I'll be there in 20 minutes. See you at the house. It's important, a lot of these experts told me, to just make sure the driver knows that you have your wits about you, you're not going to get taken advantage of, you kind of, you're using all the safety precautions that you have it yeah. at your disposal. And so uh, one of your tips is don't ride impaired, although that's the reason many people will call Uber or Lyft, because they don't want to get in their own cars behind the wheels and drive impaired. So that seemed like an odd tip to me. Yeah, well, I'm sure that riding in an Uber has saved a lot of people from driving drunk or high or just like super tired and and has saved people from getting into accidents. But it's just common safety that you just can't be too far gone and put yourself in the total hands of a stranger. Right. Yeah. Um, And so if you are super intoxicated, like maybe try to go home with a friend or, or figure out something else. And if you're and if you're sending a friend home who's slightly tipsy, go onto their phone and you know, share share their contact with yourself. Say to the to the gal as she's getting into the car, usually a gal, so the driver can hear, hey, you know, I'm tracking your status on my phone. I'll call you in 15 minutes when you get to the house. So again, like letting the driver know that you're, you're watching out for your friend and they shouldn't do anything, you know, untowards. Now, one of your tips is sit in the back on the passenger side. 
in certain areas of the world, that might be considered very snooty. That's actually, I, when I went to Australia, I got into a taxi and the taxi driver said, why do all you Americans sit in the back? It makes us feel so bad. And it turned out in Australia, I hadn't realized it, the common thing is to sit next to the driver in the front seat. You know, you can always just be snooty. It's better to be snooty than at risk. You <laughs> true, know, it's just, true. Just like, sorry, I feel more comfortable back here. I have some calls to make or whatever. Just just be polite, make an excuse. But And I got to tell you, I had a... Someone's feelings yeah. should not... Should not I had a dear friend who, when she moved to New York for the first time, she got into a cab. And in New York, you do sit in the back. But the cab driver said, oh, no, sit up front with me. And she sat there and they talked. This was 20 years ago. And then he stalked her. So that was not good. Oh, my God. (laughs) So, yes, sit in the back. And finally, uh, the last, trust your instincts, you say. What does that mean? Um, If you're feeling unsafe in any way, like, A, whether it's bad driving. Okay, let me just take a little side side note here, which is that getting into an accident and getting hurt in an accident in a ride chair is much more likely to happen to you than sexual assault. Hmm. So it's really important to wear your seatbelt and speak up if the driver is driving, like, too fast or whatever. You can just say, hey, I'm not in a rush, you know. Can you take it a little bit easy there right. on the gas pedal? Or again, just try to be polite. But, Absolutely. You know, speak up. Yeah, no, good. Um, it's all really- good advice. Uh, anybody who wants to read the article, it's called Taking an Uber Nine Tips to Ride Safely on the New York Times. Thank you, Julie Weed. Thank you. listening to the travel show you know many decades ago when you went on a cruise ship for a vacation you were expected to bring a tuxedo or uh-huh. a an evening gown there were nights where you knew you would be dressing up that kind of has gone the wayside on most not on all cruises but on most cruises but interestingly just this past uh, a winter Carnival rocked the cruise industry by banning what they are calling inoffensive or offensive, sorry, clothing aboard their ships. They are sending lists to passengers. Specifically, they are saying that passengers are not allowed to wear uh, items that contain messages that could be considered offensive or contain nudity, profanity, or sexual innuendo or suggestions. Clothing and accessories should not promote negative ethnic or racial commentary or hatred or violence in any form. What a ban. What a tremendous ban. I would have answered that question initially, Pauline, by saying that the wearing of shorts into a restaurant <laughs> on board a carnival ship. No, they're allowing is, is, that, I'm assuming. They are allowing people to wear shorts on their on their 
in the in restaurants. Restaurant I believe so, but they they seem to be really a, a trying to ban maybe offensive T-shirts. Not that they're it, it doesn't seem to have anything to do with the amount of skin that's being shown. It's things that have logos on them or things that contain profanities. I have to wonder if they've gotten an uptick in complaints. I've never myself witnessed any such thing. I, I was have you? I was sure you were about to say I've never worn a T-shirt like that. <laughs> <laughs> I can't imagine it. I've witnessed I've witnessed people wearing uh, shirts with profanity on them. Absolutely. Really? Don't blank with me, you know, that kind of thing. Oh, my God. Um, so I guess they are trying. And this is this is interesting for Carnival of all the cruise lines, because I think of Carnival as being the the most party bo- boat. A people's cruise ship. Uh, yeah, it's a people's <laughs> cruise ship. Yes. Yeah, them and Norwegian, that's the one where I guess you are going to see more of these types and of things. And yet Carnival apparently wants to upgrade the quality of their visits and, or they and, and make stu- people the- a little more deliberate about a little what bit they, more what respectful you know yes. that they're they do get more children than any other cruise line and so i guess they must have gotten uh complaints it's interesting how we're seeing i think in many places around the world different standards trying to be applied to tourists i spoke uh, at the beginning of the show about how rome is now banning um, souvenir, uh, souvenir stands. stands, but several months before that, they banned swimming in the fountains. They're now really enforcing <laughs> and of trying course. to stop people from swimming in those fa- fountains, even though I think that's probably a dream for many people that they'll go and splash around in the Trevi Fountain. Anyway, you can read about these bans and much more at Fromers.com. We hope you'll visit us there, and we thank you for listening today. <laughs> to anybody planning a we voyage... We wish you a hearty bon voyage.